Good morning, everyone. My name is Alan. I am the youth pastor here at Rich. And today, we are going to touch on a subject that at first may not seem so profound. One of the main passages we are going to be looking at comes from the book of James. And if you're familiar with the book of James, you know this is about to get real. You know, when I first came into the, uh, into the faith, the book of James was actually the one I liked the most because to me, and especially at that time, it was the easiest to understand. James is, is very direct. That man did not bite his tongue when he wanted to say something. You know, you're reading along in James, and then out of nowhere, he just simply says, hey, if you don't do this, you suck. <laughs> it's... Uh... Kind of like that. So in James, uh, we can find some com- concepts that seem to be straight to the point and don't need much comprehension in order for us to grasp what he wants to convey. Which, in some instances, that may be true, but many times in the Bible, as I'm sure you are aware, Many of these concepts that seem black and white end up requiring a careful discernment and overview so that we may understand them in the way they were meant to be understood and the way that they were meant to be carried out in our lives. I mean, have you ever come up to a point in your Christian walk when you're exploring more into a theological subject and you realize there is so much more to it than what you just read? I mean, there's countless times. When I've come up to a point and I say, man, I didn't even know that was a thing. So with this in mind, we are going to talk about the concepts James laid out for us in chapter 2. And that concept, uh, that truth, is that faith without works is a dead faith. And I mean, that, that seems like a very straightforward truth, doesn't it? And in its own right, it is. Just do more works, tithe. Go to church, help people, classes dismissed, have a good Sunday. The concept is straightforward. The, the truth is, is very simple. But as we continue to read in James and as we come across our verses like Romans 3.28, and we'll, we'll explore this one a little bit more, where it says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law in which it seems to contradict the justification by works, the made right in God's sight that James talks about. And as we we read more of the Bible, we find that this concept and and truth is much more profound than, than what we just read. When I was back in high school, in one of my classes, I, I, I had a teacher that, that, that at the end of the year required a very particular final assignment. And he required this final assignment from all of his students at the end of the year, year in and year out. The final assignment, which was the same one every year, was a six-page paper on why. Wait, what? Why what? So the due date is coming up, and me being the smartest guy in the class, obviously, that's a joke. Um, A more accurate statement will be me being the worst student in the class. 
Uh, I already read my paper and it took me about five minutes, probably less than that. So Mr. Beveridge, and I kid you not, his last name is Beveridge, his first name is Barry, Barry Beveridge. Um, the true story, he exists. So Mr. Beveridge asked us to write a paper on why, and all my paper said was why not. So we turned in our papers when, when they were due, and I tell you, I was elated. I had heard from my football coach, yeah, you know, I play football, I, we were a small school. Uh, I had heard from my football coach that back when he was in high school, a friend of his uh, had had the same experience and had given the same response, and everything went extraordinarily well for him, so I was... You know, I was feeling pretty good about my my response, uh, about the opportunity. I was inspired uh, to give the same response. So I told my classmates what I did, and they could not believe me. I was like a superhero to them. Uh, one of my friends actually called me the Hispanic Albert Einstein. So it was Alberto Einstein, you know. Uh, so after a week or so, we began to get our papers back, and I don't get mine. Mr. Beveridge, yeah, uh, Mr. Beveridge tells me uh, he wants to talk to me uh, after class and meet him at his office. You know, in my mind, I already set uh, my mind up that I, I at least was going to uh, pass the class or that he was going to tell me how magnificent my response was. So I went into his office. Uh, we began to talk. He proceeds to talk to me about my paper. He explained to me how confounded. He was by it. I say thank you. Uh, and then in a very subtle way, he says, this was a very interesting response. Magnificent answer. Nevertheless, it's wrong. You missed the whole point of the paper. This is a paper meant for you to explore and push the boundaries of the analytical side of you. And you did not do this. So he gives me my paper back. I look at the big old F on it. And I very gracefully... Fail his class. So failing that class very nicely caused me to go to summer school. It was a, a great summer. Um, and, you know, that's uh, one of the plethora of moments in my life where I can remember where maybe taking the easy way out is not always the best thing to do. It was a, a moment I can think back to and see what was right in front of me. It required more attention and, and time. It was one of the times where I should have been diligent with the task in front of me where what I was reading needed to be explored a bit more and definitely needed a deeper look than just a glance. I, I had been lazy with it and, and I had been complacent with it. And that's how I feel and even do sometimes today uh, with many passages from the Bible in which I read what's in front of me, and there is so much more underneath it all, and I don't give it its proper time. So many verses in, in the Bible have the potential to teach us so much more um, than what we just read, um, and has the potential to teach us so much more so that we can also apply it better to our lives if we investigate it deeper. So let's move into this concept and, and truth of, Faith without works is, is a dead faith. 
And the passage from the Bible where we're going to find this is James. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Cannot faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it, if it does not have work, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, looking at this passage, we can notice on three different occasions that James really gives us the thesis of what he's trying to say. First, in, in verse 17, he says, So also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. Then on verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And lastly, in verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Three times in, in, in the passage, James refers to a faith without works being a dead faith. And so now this introduces to us a very important concept or, or subject, the matter of, of dead faith. A faith that bears no fruits or products. A, a faith that gives off, gives off no evidence or, or any works. And it is a subject that I think sometimes we might tend to struggle with because we are saved not by works but by faith alone. But faith without works is, is dead, so faith without so without faith, we are not saved, right? I mean, as Christians, uh, we tend to hear the word works and, and we sort of clam up. And I think it's pretty important to see that what James is talking about here or who James is talking to are the ones making a profession of faith but have nothing to show for. So that faith is pretty much a type or, or form of non-saving faith. A belief that, that does not save. It is a belief that brings up a person just short of becoming truly regenerated. And the distinguishing mark of this is the absence of something. And the absence of that something is the absence of righteous works. And by, by way of contrast, there is also a kind of non-saving works type of faith, a type of faith that works in a, in a very legalistic way. This type of legalistic, non-saving faith is a person who does a lot of things of what appears to be good works. But here in James, we're not talking about a non-saving faith that does works and focus 
on works and hangs on to works for their salvation. But we're talking about a faith that doesn't have any works, a non-saving faith that bears no fruits. It has a, 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 an absence of any evidence of, of righteous works. So the person who James is referring to here is a person claiming to be a Christian with absolutely no evidence. And there are people who claim to be Christians, and there's enough sort of religious activity to make us think that there's evidence. But there are also people who claim to be Christians, and we look at their lives, and, and we see nothing to, to give us any evidence that they're truly regenerated. And you know, I find it fascinating that the, the book of James, by most accounts, was the first New Testament book written. And if not the first, one of the very first, the, the other notion is that Galatians was, was written before that. So this will put James at around where the 12 tribes were, were scattered among the, the nations, James 1.1, 1, 1, which was a time when the early Jerusalem church was more than likely being persecuted. And can you imagine fleeing your hometown and being sought after because of your faith and having to hide from probable death? And here you are hearing instructions from James, nevertheless encouraging, but hearing his instructions that are incredibly challenging. And that's tough, and, and certainly seeing that, that type of resilience and that type of challenge met by the, by the early church is, is inspiring. So how do we reconcile this truth of faith and works? How do we harmonize this truth so that in our lives we may understand it better, and by understanding it better, we can be better stewards of the life God has given us, and we can become the vessels God will, will have us be. And so now let me point you to another verse in the Bible that seems to even more, that seems to put even more difficulty for us to harmonize faith and works. And the verse is the one I mentioned earlier, found in, in Romans 3.28, which says, For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Which, if we go to James 2.24, we find that he seemingly says something opposite to what Paul is talking about. James says in 2.24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So when you see these two verses, you're like, that doesn't seem to be, to be right. So who, who is right? So in Romans 3.28, Paul clearly draws a sharp line of distinction between faith and works. Since all fallen sinners, Jews and Gentiles alike, fail to do what the law requires, no one can claim to find favor and acceptance with God upon the basis of works. Even if those works are as righteous as they come. Shortly, shortly after this, Paul observes that the believer's forgiveness and acceptance by God depends upon faith alone and not upon, righteous, not upon the righteousness of works. In order that no one may boast. Romans 4.16 If works were to play a role in our justification, in our made right stance before God, then our acceptance by God will no longer be a gracious gift. But it will be like a payment given to an employer. The contrast 
that exists between faith and works can be explored more within the context of the great religious questions, how can guilty sinners be received into favor with God? Since all of us have failed to do what the holy law of God requires, we are all by nature justly subject to condemnation and death. None is righteous. No, not one, Paul says in Romans 3.10. And justification answers that question. We are made right. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And for this reason, Paul observes that no one can be declared righteous in God's sight on the basis of our works. Romans 3.19.20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In these verses, Paul paints a remarkable portrait of all sinners in the presence of God's judgment seat. In the whole world, no one can be found who by the standard of perfect obedience that the law requires is able to offer a case upon the basis of their works that will exonerate them from God's condemnation. Left to ourselves, all of us will have to acquiesce or allow without protest into God's sentence on our lives and none of us can speak a word in our defense that would establish our innocence. And yet, The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God does justify. He declares us righteous to those who embrace the gospel promised through faith alone. Out of sheer grace, God the Father grants, imputes, or attributes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Through faith, we are united to Christ and become partakers of Christ's righteousness which consists in his perfect obedience to all that the law of God requires. And Jesus serving in our place, he endured the law's penalty in, in, in the atonement. He successfully reconciled us to God the Father. So when it comes to us being made right in God's sight, faith is the exclusive instrument that finds in Christ and in his saving work a full and complete satisfaction of all the requirements of the law. Faith is is not a human achievement, but the end of all boasting before God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. John Calvin describes faith like an empty, open hand stretched out towards God with nothing to offer and everything to receive. When faith sings, it always sings of of Christ alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to I trust I cling. So while we know it's true that faith alone alone justifies, this not mean this does not mean that faith is ever alone in the person made right by God. A book 
um, that I was reading touches on the subject like this. Though faith may be the alone instrument of justification, it is not alone in the person justified, but it is partnered up with all other saving graces. It is not a dead faith, but it is a faith that is worked by love. So while the grace of free justification is received by the empty hand of faith alone, we can't expect to stop it there. Justification is the, the first step, so to speak, that preludes the next stage in, in the Christian life. And that next step is sanctification, the, the process of becoming more like Christ, and then ultimately we reach glorification. But becoming righteous in the sight of God is never severed from becoming more like Christ. Christ is not given to us for righteousness without also given to us for sanctification. Whenever Christ indwells in our hearts, he always begins to renew us in the way of obedience to his law. In the fullness of his office as a mediator, Christ is not only a priest whose atoning sacrifice and continual intercession assures us of our acceptance with God, but Christ is also a king who rules in the hearts of his people by spirit and, and, and word. So the apparent difficulty between harmonizing faith and works and the apparent contradiction between the teachings of James and Paul lies in the different meanings and the language that they use. When James contrasts faith and works, he is contrasting an empty show of faith, the kind of faith that produces no fruit, with a living faith that necessarily and without fail produces works of obedience. Not all the time perfect and not at all times, but there is surely some, some evidence for it. When Paul contrasts faith and works, he is contrasting faith that rests in Christ alone for the insurance of acceptance with God with the unbelieving boast of those who would seek to obtain favor with God by their works. But Paul, as much as James also affirms that the faith that alone justifies is always a faith that works by love. Galatians 5, 6. So when James speaks of justification by works, he is not speaking to the issue of our right standing before God and our acceptance by God, which is the focus of Paul's doctrine or, or teaching. When James speaks of justification, he is speaking of the way in which we believers demonstrate or prove that our profession of faith is a genuine one. And it's not merely a matter of the tongue, but it is confirmed by the works that faith produces, by, by the fruit it, it bears. Thomas Manton says, By the righteousness of faith we are acquitted from sin, and by the righteousness of works we are acquitted from hypocrisy. Martin Luther said this about faith. Oh, when it comes to faith, what a living, creative, active, powerful thing it is. It cannot do other than good at all times. It never waits 
to ask whether there is some good work to be done. So we are justified by God through faith alone, but when it comes to our sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ, the Holy Spirit is working in us in a new way of obedience. And the faith and works that, that it produces are inseparable. We can know our works flow from true faith if we perform them not to earn our salvation, but in gratitude for a redemption accomplished by Christ. We can recognize our faith if out of our hearts love overflows. One crucial verse to bring all this into harmony comes from Galatians 5.6, where it says, For in Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, in, in other words, no matter what you do, counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Nothing that we do makes any difference in our saving grace. What is external is immaterial and worthless unless it reflects genuine internal righteousness. Faith bears the fruit or or works of, of love. The glory of Christ in the gospel is not merely that we are justified when we depend entirely on him, but also that depending entirely on Christ is the power that makes us new loving people. The power that, that, that changed us. Depending entirely on Christ is how we are justified and how we are sanctified. So Paul struck the one note, James struck the other. Both are true and together they bring Christ the glory due to his name. And our saving faith proves its genuine character by works of love. The person who lives by faith is internally motivated by love for God in Christ, which supernaturally provides a loving worship for God, a, a genuine obedience to His Word and self-sacrificing love for others. And if I can ask the, the worship team to, to come up, please. So what is our response to, to all of this? What do we do with what we find in, in James and Paul? And a place where we can start is by self-examining ourselves and asking the question of why. Now, don't give the answer like the silly version of me did when I was in high school. But let's ask ourselves, why am I doing this for What is the motive behind this? Am I doing it so that I can gain recognition, acceptance, or approval from others? Am I doing it because I have to or because I want to? Am I doing it to earn grace or am I doing it in response to that loving grace shown to me? And if you feel you are bearing no fruit, first rest assured in the hope and promise that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. And secondly, actively seek after these things. And actively seek 
after the, the works or, or fruits of the Spirit in whichever way they materialize in, in our lives. But they will all have what Galatians 5, 22 through 23 tells us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These graces show the, the beauty of the Spirit's work in our lives. Yet we may find ourselves in situations where we do feel unloving, impatient, unkind, or, or lacking in joy and self-control. All of that which may occur once we get in traffic or a slow driver in front of us. But we seek after these things, being careful to discern the difference between keeping up in step with the Spirit's work in our lives and laboring in our own strengths and abilities. When we labor in, in our strengths and abilities, what, we, what will flow through us may be fe uh, feelings of self-righteousness, pride, and entitlement. But when we labor in the Spirit, what may flow through us are feelings of thankfulness and rejoicement, not in our own righteousness, but in the work of the Spirit within us. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be here, Lord. And Lord, I just want to acknowledge how small we are and how much we need you. How much we need you every day, day in and day out. So I pray, Lord, that you give us the, the conviction and, and passion and desire to seek after the works of the Spirit, not for our own self-righteousness, not for our own pride or acceptance or good standing with others, Lord, but simply for the grace shown to us. So I pray, Lord, that as we live here today, uh, the real work is going to start tomorrow, Monday. I pray that you give us that conviction to seek after your Holy Spirit and the fruits that He produces. In your name we pray. Amen.